morning, would you turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11 is where we're going to be at today. Also, there's sermon notes at novachurch.org. You want to pull those out, or you can get those sermon notes on the Nova Community Church app. The sunset is casting this orange-red glow, this haze in the sky, and a soft, gentle breeze is caressing the leaves on the trees. Holiday preparations have kept people so busy the last few days. The city has swelled to four times its population on this holy day, but now, right now, on this day, the streets are virtually empty. Hardly a soul is seen in public. There is this eerie silence, though, that's hanging in the air. As you look down the street, you could make out two Roman guards that are patrolling the district. They're looking out for him. And if you listen closely, you can hear the voices. The voices through every window of every home. The voices through the doorways. It's the same lines out of every house. It's the same script that has been, re been repeated over and over and over again for 1,400 years. It's the same deep, almost growl of the oldest gentleman in the house. And the people, mostly family, and some neighbors and friends, they gather around the table. It's been an emotionally charged week, a week of rumors of him being arrested, even him being murdered. In a group of friends, they gather in an upper room, they called it. They gather in this upper room outside the city to pause and to reflect on what their ancestors, ancestors went through 1,400 years ago. Every home is partaking in what's called a Seder dinner. Seder, it means everything in its place. Everything has an order. There is a script that is read every year. And every home will have four cups of wine, four cups of promise, they call it, and a final cup that symbolizes that one day God will send a Savior, a Redeemer. In every home, they're going to have cut up apples, chopped up apples and nuts and cinnamon and wine mixed in a bowl. And everyone will, will eat of that and they will remember that long ago their ancestors made bricks and mortar for the Egyptians. Every home will have a bowl of salt water and they'll dip uh, bitter herbs in that salt water and they'll taste it, the salt. 
and they will be reminded of the tears of sadness of the slaves, their ancestors. Every home will have a plate of horseradish, and when they taste it, they'll each have sort of a bitter, squinty face to taste the horseradish to remind them of that bitterness that their forefathers and their foremothers went through in slavery. And every home will have a lamb roasted over a fire. A reminder that there, is a, there will be a substitute death for us because we know in order for us to be free, there must be a death. And for 1,400 years, Hebrew homes gather to celebrate Passover, their Seder dinner. Except on that night, in the upper room, he stood up, the one who walks on water, the one who stills the storm with just his words, the one who touched that 12-year-old girl who was dead, and she came to life. The one who could multiply food. He stood up, and he stands amongst his friends, and he picks up that unleavened bread, and he snaps it. And he says, this is my body, broken for you. And everyone in that room, they looked up because that was not what the script says to say. And with shaking hands, maybe quivering lips, he takes that last cup and he holds it up. And he says, tonight, we won't ask for a redeemer to come. This cup will be poured out for you my blood will be shed for you, for I am your Savior. And they realize this was a new script. He just flipped the script. Jesus took the tradition that every home celebrated for 1,400 years at Passover and he flipped the script. Every house is holding that cup, that last cup, in, in praying for a deliverer to come. Every house is hoping for the miracle of a Savior. And this year, and in this Passover, their promise was fulfilled. And today, when the people of Nova today observe the Lord's Supper, it goes all the way back to the second book in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. Let's take a look. It's Exodus chapter 11 is where we're at today, and just to catch everyone back up, if you weren't here over the last 11 weeks, the people of God had found themselves in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. 
And they numbered over a million people. And they've been crying out to God for freedom. And God says through Moses, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. And so God sends plagues, blood, and flies, gnats, and frogs, and locusts, and darkness, and boils. And Pharaoh says, no, we have our own gods. And nine plagues have hit. They've hit the land so far. And God says, you have brought yourselves to this point. But this last one, this last plague will break you. Exodus chapter 11, verse 4. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Now at midnight, we read here, the firstborn son of every household will die. And I, I thought this week, how many of you are firstborn sons, firstborn males? If you are a firstborn male, doesn't matter how old you are, if you're a firstborn male, would you raise your hand high? There's a lot of firstborn males here, a lot of them. Now, I, I have to stop and ask myself because I, I think, I was thinking that it was the firstborn babies or the firstborn boys that would be killed at midnight. But I don't read that here. And so I wonder if it is the firstborn boys and men also of every household. At every Seder dinner, the youngest at the table will begin by asking, what makes this night so special? And with the youngest child's question, the oldest male says, this is why tonight is so special. And the story is then told through that meal. And when the ten plagues are spoken, with the mention of every plague, a cup of wine with the mention of every plague is spilled out a little. A reminder that we grieve, not just for us, but for the Egyptians too. And this is all etched in modern people's memory, that the killing of the firstborn son is something Father God was willing to carry out to set people free. No one gets to be free without a cost. And there is a price that has to be paid. In Israel, death will come to every home. But you can choose a substitute. Exodus chapter 12. 
verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Now just stop there in a second, because I was thinking about this. God is saying, I'm about to do something that's going to change everything. It's going to change the calendar. He's saying, the calendar will start all over again right here. It's, it's sort of like if God said to, to us <clears throat> today that I'm changing New Year's Day, I'm changing your calendar, that August 1st will now be New Year's Day. And so everything changes from now, and, and, and God is saying, I'm stepping in, and there's going to be a before God moment in your life, and then there's going to be an after God time in your life. Has God ever stepped into your life and flipped the script, just changed your life? Was there a before Jesus in your life and all of this life you lived and then an after Jesus because he came in and invaded your life? And I, I have to ask the question, what did God change in your life? Is what, was, what happened before and then what happens after? And I started to think about my life and I, and I, and I thought, you know, when I was young and single, Jesus came in and changed my dating life. And I dated a certain way before Jesus. And I looked at girls a certain way. And I, and I pursued girls a certain way. And we'd go out on dates and i have girlfriends and, and we'd do certain things. And then Jesus came in and it changed everything. The way I, 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 I looked at girls, the way I dated them, the way I treated them. And then it moved on into marriage. In, in my mind, I, I had no idea how to be married. I had my, my, my parents were, were still married, and so I would look at their marriage, and I'd think, is that the type of marriage I want to have? And there was a lot of yeses, and there was a lot of noes in that way. And when Jesus came in, it changed the way I wanted to be married the way I wanted to be a husband, the way I wanted to have this marriage together. It changed everything. And then when we had kids, the same thing. It changed the way I was going to have a relationship with my children. When Jesus comes in, he changes everything, flips the script. The calendar has changed. I think about my purpose in life. When I graduated from high school, I had these thoughts about this is what I want my career to be. This is the school I want to go to. And then Jesus comes in, and he changed everything about my purpose in my life, the way I wanted to live my life, what, I, what my goals in life were all about. Jesus changed everything about my finances. I'm not a big numbers guy, but in my mind, I thought this is the way I want to have my finances. This is what I want to have in my life. And then Jesus comes in, and it changes everything about how my finances are resources to provide for me and to provide for the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes in your life, he changes everything. There's a before and there's an after. In Exodus chapter 12, in verse 3, it goes on to say, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, 
Each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So specific, isn't it? Death will, will visit every house. You can choose a substitute or it's going to affect a firstborn. Now, in your notes here, I, I have this statement of how to be saved from the plague of the firstborn. And the substitute for death had to be, number one, pure. Had to be pure. It says in verse 5, the animals, these are goats or lambs or maybe even rams, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. I, I was watching the news this morning, local news, and they were out at some place in Moore Park where they have a farm. And if you want to bring your family there, you can go and see the tulips that are in bloom and ride a tractor and, you know, dig up some fruit and, or, you don't dig up fruit, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> dig up stuff and, you know, you pick them sort of a thing. But they had a petting zoo. And I saw these people there, and they're holding these baby goats. And, you know, these are triplets. And, you know, they're all happy about these baby goats. Have you ever been around goats for a long time? Or lambs? They're stinky. <laughs> uh, from both ends. I mean, they're, they're just, it's, it's bad. Uh, they're dirty. They're smelly. They eat anything. You have to be careful because they'll eat just about anything. In the purity of a stinky animal really has nothing to do with the ability for them to save. The purity has everything to do with the Son of God. And this is what's called foreshadowing of something that's going to happen years and years and years later. The substitute for death, according to Exodus chapter 12, had to be, number one, pure. Second, it had to be personal. Now, it says in verse 3, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. Verse 6 says, Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month. Now, the lamb or the goat, 
the, the, the baby lamb or the baby goat will be in your home for four days, it says. Someone will fall in love with that baby lamb, that baby goat, right? Um, you'll develop a bond. You'll care for it. You'll feed it. You'll bathe it. You'll want to take a nap with it and snuggle with it. I'll, I'll, you'll want to give it a name, which is a big mistake, a, a big, big mistake. How do we know that it's personal? How do we know that this is personal? Well, you try bringing a cute puppy or a cute kitty to your home with your kids for four days and then take it away and see how it goes, right? Think about that. It's going to be personal. And, and after you have that cute animal there that you name and you feed and all of that for four days, you take it away, and here, they slaughter it. Number three, the substitute for the death had to be pure, it had to be personal. Number three, it had to be killed. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. The lamb must be killed at twilight on the 14th day. And the instructions for the preparation of that lamb must be followed. There will be death, though, either on the firstborn male or the pure personal lamb. The fourth is this. The substitute for the death, for death, had to be number four, applied. Applied. Verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. God is saying here, I don't just want you to know or to believe that there was a lamb, that there was a lamb sacrificed for you. I want you to apply the blood of the lamb to where you live. <laughs> Put the blood on the sides and the tops of the door frame of your home. And every time you walk into that house, Every time you walk out of that house, you're reminded that there is a covering of the blood of the lamb that's over you. In verse 13, it says, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And I got to ask, how much blood do you think they put on the doorposts? I mean, some of you people who really like your houses, you know, you're just going to, like, kind of, right? And some of you, you're like, hey, I, I, gotta, I really love my firstborn son in here. And me, I'm firstborn too. So I'm going to, right, I mean, I'm going to get a roller, you know, in, 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 in back door too, screen door, windows, you know, and when that angel of death comes by, I don't, I don't want to leave anything for chance, right? I'm going to put it all over. It's going to be bloody all over. We'll clean it later. We'll paint it later. But I want to make sure, right? It's pure. The substitute for death is personal. It's killed, slaughtered. It's Applied. Number five, it's completely devoured. 
I, I think this is interesting. It says in verse 4 of chapter 12, If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are, determine the amount, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. You've got to think about who, how much do your people eat. You have heavy eaters, that's good. You have light eaters, invite your neighbors, right? Uh, tell your friends to come over. It says, do not leave, in verse 10, any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. David Guzik, pastor and author, he, he writes this. He says, the idea behind eating it all was that you had to take it all then, not storing up some for the rescue for later. It was all right then, he says. It was to be eaten right now. You had to receive it all without thinking you could take some for later. It has to be completely devoured. And number six, it's done in faith. The substitute for death is done in faith. In verse 11 says, This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. That means with urgency. It is the Lord's Passover. You have to be ready at a moment's notice to go because you're going to be set free. You've got to be ready. You can't, you can't think about packing a bag later. When it's go time, it's go time. You've got to go and you've got to be ready. You tuck your cloak in. You have your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. The bags are packed. The car is warmed up. You're ready to roll when it's time to go. And you eat this in faith because this is God flipping the script. A new year is ushered in. A new calendar is set. This changes everything. You will have a new identity you will have new promises. You'll get a new life. From this meal on, it's all new. Verse 14 in Exodus 12. It says, This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, to remove the yeast from, on the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and firstborn of all the livestock as well. 
Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites go. Worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. What does this mean? You have been bought with a price. There's a substitute who died for you. You will live differently now. You are in the family of God. And everyone did as Moses has commanded. Now, fast forward, though, 1,400 years to a scene where Jesus is in the upper room with the 12 disciples. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 15, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And in every household, you could hear the youngest around the table ask, what makes this night so different? In the deep, low voice of the oldest says, a lamb had to be killed for our people to be saved. And this is a reminder of who we used to be and what we used to do. And this is a reminder of the bitterness of our life and our work in Egypt. And this is a reminder of the tears that were shed in the ultimate price that was paid so that slaves could be free. And one day God will send a real Savior and we'll pray for, pray for that in the last cup. But one house, one upper room in the entire nation breaks Seder. They break the order. They, they change the script. When he takes that bread and he snaps it and says, this is my body. And every one of the 12 looked up because you don't change the script that was said over and over and over again for 1,400 years. In that last cup of promise, the one the entire nation has been praying for, for 1,400 years that a deliverer would come and save us, a Savior would be here to care for us. In that last cup, in that upper room, and Jesus says, this is my blood. It will be spilled out for you. And I wonder if the disciples, if they remembered that John the Baptist when he said in the beginning, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Because it's clear that Jesus is our final sacrifice. Number one, he's pure, he's holy, he was sinless. Number two, it's personal. You have to trust in him on your own. You can't believe in Jesus for your spouse or for your kids. Every person 
makes a choice. It's, he's pure. He's, it's personal. He was killed. Jesus was the sacrifice. He died on the cross. He can be your substitute and take your punishment. It's applied. I, you, you, you might be thinking, you know, I believe he lived, born on Christmas, he, he died, Good Friday, he rose again from the dead, Easter Sunday, yeah, 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 I've heard it, I've, I've learned it. We call that demon faith. Because the scriptures tell us even the demons believe in that. This is not knowledge about God. One day you'll stand before God. I'm not even sure what that's going to be like. And I'm standing before God and I'm thinking, am I thinking? Am I good enough? Because I know I'm not. But I could say, the blood of Jesus has been applied to my life. And I will not get what I deserve on that day because the blood of the Lamb covers me. He's pure, it's personal, he was killed, it's applied to my life, completely devoured. You want your life to be fully devoted to him, to be obedient with your actions. In every thought, in every prayer, every word, every intention is about Jesus and what he wants for my life. And then it's done in faith. Completely done in faith. In faith you are set free. You have a new identity by faith. You are a child. You are a daughter. You are a son in the family of God, and it's only by faith. And I have one last point on your notes today, one last statement. Every woman and every man will have to accept a payment of death, a payment of death. In this life, you can choose to pay on your own, which would be a tragedy, or you can choose the substitute that God offers through his son, Jesus Christ. And one day, we'll stand before Almighty God. And if you trust in Jesus, you can say that the blood of Jesus covers me. And I have four verses in your notes from the New Testament book of Romans. And, and, I, and I just thought, I'm going to read them. And I, my question is, what are these scriptures in Romans, these last four on your notes, do you own them? Are they personal to you? Do you believe them by faith? Is this about your life? Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I say me. That's me. That's me. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's me. That is me. For if while we were God's enemies, in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, 
while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I, I own that scripture. That's, that's for me. Romans chapter 6, verse 10. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I accept that gift. I'm grateful for that gift. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I want that. Let's pray together.